are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. We're going to start our journey today on the book of Hebrews. And so, you know, the, the opening sessions can be a little humdrum because it's the background stuff. Stay awake, okay? It's interesting. I made it interesting. Just stick with me. We're going to go somewhere here. Wake up, Anne. Come on. And so we're going to be in the first chapter. And what we're going to do is we're going to condense the intro and the first chapter and bring it together. And um, I think we can do that today. I want to talk to you this morning about how Jesus is superior to everything as we look in the first chapter. But let me first kind of lay the groundwork and the foundation for where we're going. The, the book of Hebrews highlights the importance of evaluating our own personal faith and of realizing what Jesus has offered to us through our salvation and personal relationship with him. The Jewish believers were going through a difficult time And they were being tempted to go back to the religious beliefs, the religious rituals and traditions. They were really struggling to bring the gospel into the center of their lives because they had been so indoctrinated by the law. It was a a strategic time in history for the brand new church, for the Jews who were being converted into uh, Christian belief, and to making the Lord their Savior. It was a time where the temple was still standing, and the sacrifices were still being offered every day. But in a few years, both the city and the temple would be completely destroyed. And the Jewish nation would be scattered at that point. So this is a very desperate time for God. This is a time where God had to come with the new covenant, with the word of the Lord, with the things that have been spoken through Christ and make them the foundation of their faith. They were breaking new ground as never before. The Jewish believers were quickly becoming the minority among the first century believers. And they were struggling. How do we fit our ancient heritage into this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And they needed to learn that their new lifestyle didn't require circumcision, sacrifices, rituals, and other traditions. And the author, who is unknown, there's some speculation of who it might be, but the author of this book is not known. I wonder why. I'm sure we'll discover that as we're going along. And so this author is trying to show us that, uh, to convince the Jewish believer to shift from an old covenant, from old practices of the law, into a new covenant of freedom and grace. A grace that would offer forgiveness, a grace that would offer a, a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a grace that would actually bring the favor of God not only to a people group, but to individual people in a personalized way that had not been expressed before through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and his atoning death 
and the forgiveness of our sins. These people were second-generation believers, having accepted Christ's salvation by those, actually, who had been taught by Jesus. So they weren't getting a second-hand message. They were getting the message that Christ had just preached, just taught. They were actually being encouraged in a covenant that was alive and that had transformed people's lives. And it was tangible. It was a faith that these people were going out in faith, preaching this message, hoping that hearts, hardened hearts, religious hearts, disbelieving hearts, judgmental hearts would be turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they, were, they had known Jesus personally. They had experienced his ministry personally. And now they were going to the second generation and ministering the gospel to the Hebrews, the Jewish people. They had been persecuted. The Jews were being persecuted for their new faith. And yet they had faithfully ministered to the needs of others as they were suffering. And the book of Hebrews is a book of examination. It helps you to discover where your faith really is. Warren Wiersbe challenges our faith when he says, don't live for what the world will promise you today. Live for what God has promised you in the future. Amen? It's what he's got for us in the future. Walk by faith and not by sight. I like when Pastor Greta used that illustration, that word picture last week. Was that not an awesome sermon? That was awesome. Wow. And she used the analogy or, of the rope and taking the things that are in the unseen and wrapping that rope like a lasso around the unseen and pulling it in to the scene. That's faith. That's believing, that's trusting, that's what the Jews were doing in this time. They were pulling in a new rope, and they were pulling in things that were prophesied, things that were dreamed about, things that were preached about, things that were purposed by God. They were pulling in that rope, and they were seeing the covenant come to life as salvation was being had by men, women, and children, and young adults. These Jewish believers were actually at a standstill in their faith. They were spiritually experiencing confusion and chaos because there was a battle between the old beliefs and the new beliefs. And all of us have gone through that. In preparation for this word, I went through that this week, where some of my old nature, you don't want to meet that person, by the way, so some of my old nature, some of my dysfunction came to life. I'm like, where is that coming from? Well, I can't blame it on anybody because they didn't actually stir it up. I did. And then I looked at it and I said, that's not who I am. This is who I am. This is who God's created me to be. I am a new creation, a brand new man, all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Our minds become new. Our speech becomes new. 
Our desires become new. Our motives become new. Our relationships become new. Where we go, what we do, who we hang out with is new. They were battling with the everyday things because they were brought up to believe that the rituals and the traditions, that was their faith. And now they had to realize that their faith was in Jesus Christ. The Messiah had come. He was the Lamb of God, who indeed took away the sins of the world. And they had to grasp that and take hold of that in a way that you and I wouldn't have to, actually. The writer of the Hebrews of Hebrews wants the Jewish believers to evaluate what they have now in Christ. The new covenant was a better covenant. The new covenant exemplified all the things that God had promised in the new now had become a reality into the new covenant. They were promises at one time, but now the reality of the Messiah had come and had taken away the sins of the world and had actually reconnected people to their heavenly father. Sins were forgiven and people began to live a righteous life without making sacrifices. Jesus became the sacrifice. He was the better covenant. It is a book that exhorts and urges readers to hear and heed the word. And I chose those two words very carefully. Because as you go through the 13 chapters in Hebrews, you are challenged to take heed to the word, to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus is the living word. And we are in a culture that has decided that the word is not the predominant place where you get your wisdom, where you actually get direction, guidance, where you're actually corrected, where you make mistakes. People correct Jesus before they let Jesus correct them through the word. Did you hear what I just said? It's very true. Come to one of my counseling sessions. Michael. Well, at least you're honest. God doesn't only want us to hear the word on a Sunday morning. God wants us to take heed of that word, of where that word is supposed to grab your heart, grab your spirit, grab your life, and change it for the better. I could actually sit down today and say, why don't you guys go back to what was preached last week and consider one thing you're going to do from that, and we could actually leave here today. Do you hear what I'm saying? But we're here again on Sunday, and now Pastor James is supposed to feed you again. I'm saying, hear the word of the Lord. Take heed of the word of the Lord, and consider to do the word of the Lord. That's what they were being challenged to do, as we are today. A key thought or question that as I was preparing chapter 1, I felt 
a knock on my heart. <laughs> and I knew who it was. <laughs> Shucky darts. And I knew immediately just the spirit of the Lord and kind of the tone of his voice that I was going to be called on the carpet. <laughs> and so I actually stood before the Lord. And this key thought that came to me was, who are you truly trusting in? Whoa. I'm like, what? Really? I trust you. No, you don't. That's the problem. That was the response to my response. No, you don't. That's the problem. I had to make a decision at that moment not to cop an attitude. And the word says, humble yourself. 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourself, verse 6, under the what? Mighty hand of God. Whoa. Don't want to mess with that, right? And so, like the Hebrews, he comes to us. And he says to us, as he said to me, who are you trusting in? I want to just uh, take us to chapter 1 and look at who we can trust in. We're going to be here a little bit, so settle in. Don't look at the clock. I want to talk to you this morning. Be patient with me. It says here, Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You, are, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning... O oh Lord, you have laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will, be, they will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never 
end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Jesus is superior to all others in his position, in his power, and in his authority. And Hebrews chapter 1 provides a clear evidence that Jesus is superior to all others. Jesus is superior to the prophets. We read that in verses 1 and 2. Who held the highest esteem by the Jewish people. Christ is the source, he is the center, and he is the end of everything that God has to say. Christ is superior to the prophets since he spoke into creation. He was with his father God when God was breathing in and God was speaking into the situation. Christ and the Holy Spirit were partnering together to do the impossible. Amen? Amen. That's what they were doing. And Jesus was present. And God continues to speak to us by his Son. When we read the word, it's apparent that God spoke in bits and pieces at various times and through different methods, different events, different prophets, kings, individuals, history. In verse 1, it says this, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. And that word spoke is really important to understand because this word actually indicates that there was a progressiveness in the past that brought us into the future. That's interesting. It also talks about a process that continued over a period of time until what was spoken was actually accomplished. Christ being Lord and Savior. And then in verse 2 it says, but in these last days, which we're in, these last days, right? He has spoken by his son. He has spoken to us by his son. And that is an actual process of revelation and illumination of a word that's alive today. God is speaking today. Jesus is speaking today. And what Jesus has to speak to us today, he's the living word. And because he's the living word, that whoever is speaking the word under, hopefully, the anointing of the spirit of the living God, there's life that comes to the word. And then there's the life of Christ that flows through the word. And then life begins to come through the fruit of the life and the word in the individual people. That's the process that they're speaking about in those two verses. This one commentary said, The prophets preach the expectancy of the coming Messiah and divine kingdom of God. The Son is the fulfillment and Messiah, the king who will bring the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus is speaking, 
He understands. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. He understands when the enemy is coming. He understands when the kingdom of darkness is rising up. He understands when people have lost their minds and ways and go and do their own things. People do what they want. That wickedness and evilness increase because there's disobedience, lack of trust unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So it ramps up the kingdom of darkness. Trust me, when the spoken word of Jesus Christ pierces through that darkness, it is defeated. We may not see the outcome right away, but it is defeated. That's the power of the living word. Jesus is superior to the prophets. Amen? Amen. And any preacher, by the way. Let's get that clear. God wants us to understand. He wants us to grasp and appreciate that Jesus will speak the word, and that word is superior over your own word. Ooh. Because some of us speak like we know everything. Some of us have opinions that we think are gospel, but they're nothing but your own opinion. I have a few of them. Stick by me. Let me share them. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Very important to understand here. And you're going to see as we travel through Hebrews, they're getting patty-swacked for that. They really are. But it's because God wants the word to give clarity and direction. Jesus is superior to the angels. We see that in verses 14, 4 to 14. I found this beautiful piece of writing that was written in AD uh, 381 by Gregory of, uh, it says, Natsiazas. Natsiazas. I hope I'm enunciating that properly. And it says this, Jesus. Jesus began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. Jesus was weary, yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet he is the king. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet Jesus wipes away our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the whole world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by his death, he destroyed the power of death. Jesus, therefore, is superior. Is that not awesome? Yes. Hallelujah. I'm just going to go through these quickly. I have a lot more to say about these, but I I want to give you some areas and affirmation from the word itself. In verse 4 to 5, we see Jesus is the Son. 
No angel was ever given the title of a son. Now, why are they concentrating on angels? Because in the Hebrew religion, angels were dominant messengers. Angels were the one who disrupted the scene and gave clarity and direction and leadership in moments of crisis. And so they were battling to understand that the Messiah's spoken word, that the Messiah's presence, now that he was dead, was, was it greater than the angels? Because according to their tradition and their ritual, the, the angels were the messengers of God. Do you understand? It was the, the, it was the evil angels thrown out of heaven and the good angels who meet, remained. And so in their tradition, in their ritual, it was a real struggle in their minds to understand that Jesus was enthroned, that Jesus now was enthroned in the heavens, and the angels were actually worshiping and honoring him. That was a big step for them in their faith, just so you understand that. He is the firstborn who receives worship, and the title firstborn was a title of rank, a, a title of honor. And it was the, a title that meant that that individual received the inheritance and the special blessing, which Christ did. He is the firstborn, it says in Colossians, of all creation, because he created all things. He served, he is served by the angels. We see that in verse 7. And there's a quotation from Psalms 104, verse 4. That's what verse 7 is. And the angels, they're actual created spirits, ministering spirits. And then it, it says that sometimes, and we see that through the Old Testament, that they came and they had actually assumed a, a human form when they had a visitation. But they are of spirit. Jesus is of human form. Angels are of spirit form. And the angels worshipped him, and they served him. And um, so we know that because in Matthew chapter 4, we see the scene of the temptation. We see that Jesus is sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and we see that Satan comes, and he, te and he, he, he tests him, and he just say, away with you, Satan. And it says that after Satan left, the angels came and ministered to him. We don't know how many came. We don't know actually what they did for him, but we know that they ministered, providing new strength because he had gone through 40 days of fasting and prayer and attack from the enemy. And so they came to revive him and restore him. He is God enthroned and he is anointed, verse 8 and 9. And in these verses... These verses actually come from Psalm 45. And they're a, pro a prophetic declaration that Jesus Christ is God and he is seated on a divine throne, not just a throne, a divine kingly throne. There, that throne is a picture of godliness, godly supremacy and, and, and sovereignty. And so he's seated on that. And the angels... They've never sat on the throne. And that's what they were trying to communicate to these Jews. Is they worship before the throne. They don't sit on the throne. Right. And today's society, 
people have angels replacing Jesus on the throne. Angelology. That people have put above Christology. It's not the truth. It's a false teaching. Angels are not more powerful than God. Angels are not more powerful than Jesus himself. Angels are sent by God to minister to you and I and others. They minister before the throne. When Jesus ascended and entered into the heavenly glory, he was anointed for his heavenly ministry. He was anointed for his earthly ministry, and he was anointed for his heavenly ministry with the oil of gladness. This was a new place of reign, and, and God wanted him anointed. God wanted him separated unto himself. God was glorifying him for all he had accomplished through the cross, through his burial, his resurrection, and ascension into heaven. He's being honored as he is being anointed. When we are being anointed, we are being honored as heirs of Jesus Christ. Don't ever minimize when someone anoints you with oil. Don't minimize that as, that's a religious thing to do. Well, it could be a religious thing to do, by the way. But if God's initiating it, and God's anointing you with oil, and God's anointing you with the word, a living word, then God's about to birth something of himself within your life that you're called to accomplish. You will never accomplish what Jesus ever accomplished in the sense of the cross. But on earth, your ministry, he said, you shall do even greater things. That's encouraging, isn't it? Verse 10 and 12 says, he is the eternal creator. That comes from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. And it declares Jesus to be the creator. And the one, one day he will do away with the old creation and bring in the new creation. I cannot wait to see how glorious that will be when I get to be up there in the new creation. How many of you want to come with me? You, you want to be up there? You don't seem too excited. I mean, we are going to get to live in a new creation with our Heavenly Father. That is going to be glorious. 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 Creation is like an old garment which will one day be discarded into a new. And then we see in verses 13 to 14 that Christ is sovereign and the angels are servants. The author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, the fact that Jesus is now at the Father's right hand and is seated at the throne. That's mentioned throughout the New Testament many, many times. And angels are the ministering spirits who serve the Lord seated on the throne, and they also minister to us who are the heirs of salvation through, the faith, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so are you willing to honor, adore, respect Jesus Christ as the one who is more superior than you? He's waiting for an answer. Yes. 
Perhaps you might need to readjust your thinking as I've had to this week and be cautious about minimizing the majesty of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns. He is sovereign. He is majesty. He is radiant in all of God's glory. He is the representation, the exact representation of our Heavenly Father. That's the one we call our Savior. Maybe you're at a standstill spiritually. Or maybe you're in danger of going backward in your faith. Maybe you have some wrong ideology of who Christ is. Maybe you've placed prophets, kings, politicians, entertainers, sports heroes above Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Maybe just perhaps. I know when I got saved, I had to be delivered from idol worship because I was an entertainer and I worshipped entertainers. I do nothing to get an autograph. I'd wait hours to get an autograph. Hours and hours, because that was my God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And some of you have sports heroes and paraphernalia and stuff that actually are superior than who Christ is in your heart. Just as the author of Hebrews challenged the Jewish believers... I'm challenging you today that Jesus is superior to all others in his position, in his power, and in his authority. Amen. Jesus is sovereign. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for patient people here today. <laughs> very patient, very loving, very gracious. But your word is so important. It's so essential. You are the living word. Jesus. We honor you. We ask for forgiveness for replacing you. Actually, at times, dethroning you from your majesty and your sovereignty. Forgive us for putting those various idols, things, as replacements before you. We do, as the writer of Hebrews is, honoring Christ as superior. We acknowledge that today. And we declare you to be our Lord, our Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, within our hearts. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.